theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaclia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning, Dr. Joy. Good morning, Dr. Amy. How are you this morning? Well, one of my favorite things is part of the discussion today. I love technology. I know you do. <laughs> but I like it best when it works. You could probably talk a little bit about those yeah. struggles that we've had. I'm struggling this morning. So I do have my cell phone ready to go just in case I have to transition because again, technology is great when it works, but this is just in time for me to transition back to work. You know, we've been cooped up for about 14, 15 months now. I think my laptop is tired. I'm tired of it and it's time to transition to work. But when you talk about technology is good when it works, Experience in this pandemic really took us to a new level of being so reliant on technology. I can recall my nephew who was in the eighth grade when that pandemic hit and he transitioned to remote learning for those last three months of school, he relied on his cell phone. That was his resource and that was his only resource. He took his exams. He listened to his teacher, did all of his lessons using a cell phone. So this is crucial for a lot of children, a lot of students, and not just P-12, but college students too. What okay. happens when technology doesn't work? And I'm saying that broadly, right? It doesn't work for a lot of reasons. Some of that is equity. Some of it is your internet service. Some of it is just, you got a clunky computer for a lot of reasons. So I'm glad that we're going to have this conversation today about your favorite subject, technology. Well, it's not even just the technology piece. We have a guest today who is a chemistry teacher, and she's going to share with us her struggles and experiences and how she has capitalized on technology in her content area. So that's what's really exciting is the implementation and not just technology for the sake of technology. So we're going to talk to Mallory Bowman. Ms. Bowman has been a high school chemistry teacher at Bloom High School in Chicago Heights since 2012. Mallory teaches all levels of chemistry, regular chemistry, chemistry honors, AP chemistry. Additionally, she is a PLC leader and on the curriculum advisory committee. In her quote unquote spare time, I should say, she has been an adjunct professor at the University of St. Francis in Joliet since 2007. 
Mallory attended the University of St. Francis, receiving a BS in biology and her master's in education with teacher licensure. So welcome to our podcast, Mallory. Hi. Welcome, Mallory. You look beautiful this morning. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, before we get into some discussion, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you and your role. And Dr. Amy, she mentioned that you are a PLC leader. So I also want you to explain for our listeners what a PLC is. And you're, you're so much more than a chemistry teacher. So let, so give us, unwrap this whole package. Tell us more about your role. Yeah, so PLC is a professional learning community. So in our science department, there's one PLC for biology and then chemistry, physics, and all the leftover science classes are all kind of bundled together. So we get together on a regular basis and talk about lesson planning and school-wide goals and making sure that we are meeting the initiatives that the school puts forward for us to be working on. But it's really been a great way for us to work together as a team of teachers, a team of professionals, and help each other out and work smarter, not harder. So I've been in that role for a couple of years now. And it's, it's been nice being in kind of a, a leadership position at the school. So tell us more about the curriculum advisory committee. How does that inform your work and how does your work inform the committee decisions? So the curriculum advisory council is a group of teachers and administrators for both schools and our district. And we're looking at just kind of big picture stuff and moving forward, like what types of new classes are going to be offered. And like recently we were talking about changing up the way they do the graduation ceremonies and, and calculating GPAs and all that stuff. So it's nice to kind of have that big picture information about what the district is looking for moving forward to bring that back and share with my team and kind of have that knowing what the end goal is going to be. And then as a teacher, it's nice to be an advocate for our science teachers in that committee. A lot of times administration has their perception of things and their opinions and I can give them what it's like to be on the other side of things as well. Speaking of science teachers, and that's my background as well in biology though, not chemistry, but speaking of science, as hands-on as it is, especially chemistry, it's hard to me, for me to imagine that transition of going remote. And who would have thought that 15 months later, we're still in a pandemic. And, and we were careful early on in this podcast not to talk about the pandemic so much because we were dating ourselves. But I think at 15 months in, we can continue to talk. We can talk about the pandemic because we are in it for a long time. Yeah. So as you teach chemistry, which again, is very hands-on, how did you transition to remote instruction? And what were your biggest challenges? And what was your most success? It was a big challenge. So for me, chemistry is 
first of all, it's a challenging class for a lot of our students. For a lot of kids, it's the first time that they've really, really been challenged. There's a lot of conceptual stuff. There's a lot of math stuff. There's a lot of vocabulary. So it's kind of like learning a whole new language in and of itself. And you're right. So in a traditional setting, my classroom involves a lot of hands-on lab activities, group work, and all of that kind of had to be thrown out the window with the pandemic. And one of the, the interesting things is being kind of thrown into the deep end like that. It forced us to do a lot of new things and to In a way, it gave you like some freedom to just experiment with new things and try new things. And with the pandemic and being remote, even when we were supposed to be synchronous, right? So like at my school, four days a week, we were meeting online at the same time. And one day a week, we were asynchronous. Those kiddos are not always caught up. They're not always doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so even when we're supposed to be synchronous, we're really not because everyone's in a different place. So kind of having to rethink that whole concept was really challenging. Like the the labs and the group activities, we couldn't really do. My school purchased a program called Pivot Interactives. And so that was a nice alternative to labs because it allowed students to collect data and practice a lot of those skills. It's not the same as doing it in person, but it was kind of the next best thing. There were other times when myself and some of the other chemistry teachers would like record ourselves performing a lab. And so they could see what we were doing and ask them questions using different programs like Edpuzzle or ClassKick or something like that. One of the big challenges I had was because we weren't all totally synchronous, working you know, on the same stuff at the same time, even though on some days we were supposed to, getting all those kids together to work in a group, getting them to participate was a big struggle to, to speak up. And in the beginning, I had these grand ideas for all of these breakout rooms, and I was going to put them in groups, and they were going to be doing all the same group type of stuff that I would normally do in the classroom. And it just didn't really work out that well. So we kind of had to rethink a lot of things and create assignments that were more asynchronous, but at the same time, making sure that I pull them all back together at least once or twice a week and do things as a whole class to get them to participate and kind of make sure that everyone's where they're supposed to be. So for that, I used programs like Kahoot or a Pear Deck, where especially with the Pear Deck, I could ask them questions and pull the class and get a consensus of where everyone was at. And then there's other questions I could ask where I could see individual students, their thoughts and where they were at in that process. And that was kind of like a safe place for them to participate without having to be vulnerable and have their names attached to it and raise their hand and unmute, God forbid. Yeah, so there, there was a lot of new technology involved with that. So I have a question about the technology that was already existing. So I realized that the pivot, well, pivot in the sense of the technology you were using, yeah. but also the, the terminology is to 
try to find new things. But in my experience, there have always been some kinds of technologies available. What kind of technology were your eyes open to, like things that were already in and available to you in the classroom that took on new life? Yeah. So one of the big things that we used a lot was Edpuzzle. And that's something that we have been using at Bloom for a long time. So for those that aren't familiar with it, it's the short version is you can create a video or find a video, ask students questions. So they're watching it. They're working at their own pace. They'll be watching a video and then it'll pause and ask them questions for them to answer. And then they can move on to the next question. So in the past, we would use that occasionally during class time. It would be good for homework. It would be good for like sub days when I wasn't there and I wanted to hold them accountable. But with the remote environment, it really became like our bread and butter. So like any time that I would in the past traditionally have like a lecture day where I'm giving them the information, we use the ad puzzle. And the great thing about it was students could work at their own pace. They, if they needed to do it at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, that's when they did it. I know we've talked before about like the ELL students and they're able to have the closed captioning. So that was really great for them. And I pulled my students because I was afraid at one point that I was overusing it and I, and I didn't want that to be the case, but they, they really enjoyed it a lot. And then the other program that I used a ton was something called Paradox. And I had been introduced to that earlier in the year, played around with it a little bit, but I didn't really have time to learn all there is to know about it and to really incorporate it a lot into my class the way I had wanted to. And given this pandemic that we really didn't have a lot of choice that kind of forced me to to take a deeper look into Paradox and the class kick and some other uh, pieces of technology that i had heard about and had kind of been interested in but honestly didn't really have the time to learn about it more and uh experiment with it you talked about a lot of different applications that you use And we're going to list some of those applications in our notes so that other teachers can go back and look at some of those resources because you're using a lot of resources. So post-pandemic, hoping that we return normally in September, what are some of the technology and applications that you want to stay with you that you found that's going to be beneficial and that you want to keep? or one of the good things that came out of the pandemic was we got all of this special funding. And so we got a lot of subscriptions to technology that we didn't have access to before. So like Edpuzzle was something we'd used for a long time, but we got the paid subscription for it, which made it a lot easier to collaborate and share with other teachers within our district. And things like the Pivot Interactives for like those online labs, as we're doing them, we couldn't help but think about how we could use this same technology when students come back to school. Like for students who were absent or unable to do an in-person lab or to do it as like a pre-lab activity so they could get practice with the techniques before they're in the actual lab setting. 
I mentioned Pear Deck was another one that we used a lot. And the great thing about that, things like Pear Deck and Classkick is it allows you to do things that you can't do any other way in person. Like you can see all of your students work in real time, which in a traditional classroom where you're not using that technology, you can call on one student at a time and hear their answer or their thoughts, but you're only engaging that, you know, one kid at a time. And even if you are calling on random people or whatever, and not always the kid that has their hand up, you're still only hearing from one person at a time. Whereas this technology really allows you to see what everyone is doing at the same time and use that information to your benefit. So a lot of the stuff that we use, I really, really hope that we can continue to use it in the future. Thing I keep advocating for, because I don't know if admin really gets it because they're not in the classroom with us. So I, I hope we don't come like so reliant on this technology and so invested in it and then it all goes away and we can't use it anymore. That was a big fear that I have. So somehow as PLC leader, you have to make sure that administration gets it. Even if you have yeah. to have the students support you and tell administration that we these are some things that we need to continue, especially there is additional funding, as we know, for this upcoming academic year, and it will be there for the next three years. So hopefully that's something that you can hold on to. But I want to swing yeah. around to something you said earlier about your ELL students. And can you just talk to us a little bit about how they were most affected in this remote instruction? And what are some of the things you had to be mindful of and implement for your ELL students? Yeah, so I have a lot of ELL students that are at all over the spectrum. I have one in particular this past year who didn't speak English at all. And listening to English was very difficult for her, but she could like read it. So in our Google Meets and when I would use like Edpuzzle or YouTube videos, having that closed captioning on there was really helpful for her. And it's something that I hadn't really thought about before. And for some of our kids, having the closed captioning in English is helpful. They can also translate it to Spanish or whatever their native language is. I'm not sure on like, you know, how many different languages are available, but that was really helpful for a lot of kids. Another thing that we did was when we would have an assignment that had like a reading passage on it, I would always make sure that it included an audio recording of me or one of the other teachers reading the passage. So for some students, that is very helpful to be looking at the words and listening to it at the same time. And then also working with some of the ELL parapros to help translate written documents for students and for parents. The other thing I had to be really mindful of is sometimes we would do assessments online and we would make them timed and we'd give them more than adequate time because everyone has different situations at home, but it's like you have to kind of put some time constraints on it to make sure that it gets done. And I didn't realize at first for some of those ELL kids that are working with a parapro and are working with that translation piece that it, the timing, it really takes a lot longer for those students to complete the same assignment than it does for our native English speakers. Well, I would imagine that all of this planning 
takes a lot of time. Now, this past year, I'm sure, and you can speak to this, that there was space perhaps created for teachers to plan individually and as a team. This is significant. Can you talk a little bit about that? And what do you hope moving forward? What can you hopefully retain as far as space and time and creativity? Yeah. So at our school, our students' day ended at one o'clock. So we all had a couple of hours in the afternoon to work on whatever we needed to work on. And our students were also asynchronous on Wednesdays. So we had like office hours set up where students can make appointments with us, which was great to get that individual time with students. But then when we weren't meeting with students, we were freed up to create stuff or work with our colleagues. And that was huge. Like, I I don't think we would have survived without all that time because we had to recreate everything. Like all of the things that we were used to doing in the past, we threw out the window because in order to successfully teach in an online platform, you can't just take the same stuff that you did before and like plaster it online for the students to view like you you have to rethink everything and at my school too we're in a process of adopting this pre-AP curriculum so not only were we in a pandemic and we had to modify and create all this new stuff but we also had to modify lessons that we had never taught before so that added an additional challenge to it moving forward I really, really hope that we can keep some of that time to collaborate with the other teachers and work on creating all of this stuff. Because when I look back at what we created this year, it's just amazing. In the previous school years, the way our days were structured and you only have a small amount of time to do all of your grading and lesson planning and getting caught up on emails and making parent phone calls and like all of the things that people who aren't teachers probably don't realize that we have to do. It's like there's only so many hours in a day. Well, I'm sure parents now appreciate teachers a lot more. We're talking to Mallory Bowman. She's a high school chemistry teacher. And today we are talking about technology. What new resources surfaced during the pandemic how our students were impacted by this and how do we move forward? So we hope that moving forward, we can continue to implement some of the technology that really worked. So I have have another question for you. I used to ask this question like 10 months ago and I'm gonna ask it 10 months later. How is your teaching better or worse as a result of the pandemic? I think it's definitely better. And a big thing, and I kind of mentioned this before, is that being kind of thrown in the deep ends like this, it really freed me up to take risks. I learned so much. I created so much new material that even when we're not 100% online, I can adapt it and see how it will impact my students when I'm with them face to face. And I don't think we're ever going to go back to exactly how we were before. Like we're different as teachers, our students are different. The technology is different. 
even little things like having those one-on-one Chromebooks, which my district did not have prior to that, or, you know, in the past we'd have a snow day. Like I don't imagine us ever having that again. It'll just transition to a remote day. Exactly. Exactly. The technology and stuff, it's not going away. So I kept as difficult as it was when you had days that were really, really hard, but I just kept trying to focus on all of the the wonderful things that I was learning and creating. And it, on my worst days, I can just go back and tell myself if I could survive that, I can survive anything. Right. And, and it's funny as a former principal and superintendent, now they no longer have to sit in that back room and calculate, should I call the school day off for tomorrow? Those are very difficult decisions. And you always want to second guess yourself. They said there's a huge storm or it's going to be a lot of fog. You cancel school, we get two inches. So those are very difficult decisions that don't have to be made anymore because learning does not have to stop because of a weather prediction, right? Right. And even in terms of like, you know, we mentioned I have a large population of ELL students. I have a lot of students who will go to Mexico for a month and come back. And learning doesn't have to stop for those students either. They have access to the internet or students who are missing school for whatever reason. The learning doesn't have to stop. It doesn't have to only take place in a classroom. So I think that's huge for students and teachers and parents to know that, that it doesn't have to only take place in the classroom. Right. That's interesting. And that's also interesting at the college level, you know, students have the expense of housing. So we found that many of our students, they went back home. Some of them went out of the country where they came from so that they could still stay connected, take all of their courses. I mean, so it impacted so much more, but we had to find ways for learning to continue. And it sounds like you did a really good job of that. Yes, thank you. Also just like learning how to be more flexible. And there was days when the internet stopped working at school and you know, you have to just, adapt and adjust and sometimes just have to throw all of your plans out the window and just roll with it and that's what we learn how to do take it with a grain of salt we've talked about necessity being that mother of invention everyone's getting more creative and like you said there were some phenomenal things that were put together in this past year that can be implemented in the years to come and tech being a game changer for ELL students, for other students who might have learning disabilities, who can, you can tailor the instruction accordingly, like pausing a video that might've been presented to the whole class. Well, this one is tailored, has this translation, but they can also pause it to listen at their own pace. That's just one thing that I can think of that really changes how learning can happen But you talked about access. There's something else I want to talk about in regards to access, and that's just that one-to-one, but also the internet. Tell us about your school community situation and how were students able to access? Because people have arguments, well, we, we can't, this community can't support Chromebooks or they can't support these new technologies or the funds for it. There are. Yeah. 
so one of the things that our district did in certain situations was to provide hotspots for students who did not have access to reliable internet. So that was huge. We also provided, like we said, our students all with Chromebooks. However, like some of them didn't pick up their Chromebooks. And I would have students like trying to do all of their work from their phone which was challenging, or sometimes our students would live in a household where they had multiple siblings and they were responsible for taking care of their younger siblings, or there's one device that lots of people are trying to use at the same time. So there definitely was some challenges. However, they were able to persevere. And it was really amazing to see that yes, this, this can be done in this community. We can provide these kids with computers. We can make sure that they have access to the internet and where there's a will, there's a way and it can be done. Yeah, I was telling Dr. Amy before we brought you on about my nephew who was in the eighth grade and for three months he used his cell phone. He didn't have internet at home. He didn't have a computer. And so once we found out, of course, we purchased a computer for him and then didn't think about the fact, well, he still doesn't have internet service. So how does this help? <laughs> you can have a nice new computer and no internet service. So we had to provide yeah. all those resources. And I think as parents realized that we were kind of in this for the long haul, we yeah. had to change that mindset. Okay. And then it's a necessity. It's no longer a luxury. It's Absolutely. 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 It became a necessity. So I can imagine it'd be interesting research. Don't you think, Dr. Amy, to see how it impacted the lives of some of these parents to have now have Internet service and all this technology in their homes that otherwise they would not have had. So you mentioned before there are some things that you'd like to hang on to right moving forward that mm -hmm. you thought really work to improve student learning. So what is going to be the driver of new sustainable technology in the classroom? Where do you think that's going to come from? Is it going to come from faculty? Is it going to come from parents pushing this? Is this on administration's radar? What do you think the driver of sustaining the technology is going to come from? And what do you think you'll do about it? I have been advocating to anyone who will listen to me. <laughs> I have no problems with talking to all of my administrators every time I see them about what's been working, what we need, why we need it. I think it's important for teachers and students and parents to advocate for what they need because ultimately it's the administrators that are in charge of doling out that money. They're not always in the classroom and sometimes they were in the classroom a long time ago, but they're not there anymore. And unless we communicate that to them, that how impactful this is and how we still need it, they may not know just how important it is. So I think that's really important for everyone just to get the word out there and to show them that it's, it's worth the money, it's worth the time, it's worth the investment for the long haul. And that some of these things that we were using and creating aren't just gonna stop once remote learning stops. That's fantastic. You know, as a PLC leader and being part of the advisory team for curriculum, it seems that you would encounter people who might be more resistant to change or to implementing technology. As we start wrapping up today, talk to us a little bit about what you say to help people 
get on board or what are the words and how do you show or demonstrate to people who might be more resistant to change? That's a great question. So I was fortunate in that I was pretty tech savvy when this whole remote learning thing started. And I've found over the years, and I wasn't always like this, but I really have grown to have this passion for it. And I love being able to share that with other people. And I know that I, there's a lot of teachers out there that have never even had a Google classroom, let alone been exposed to all of this new technology. And there's so much out there that it's overwhelming and it's hard to know what to focus on because you can't be an expert at everything, especially in the beginning. And one of the really great things that our district did is when we had institute days or like professional development days, we would have almost like a show and tell where they would pick out different teachers to share out and give a little presentation on one piece of technology. And so I think hearing it from each other and not just like someone that the district paid to come in or the tech guy to come give a presentation about was really powerful to see your coworkers be passionate about something and share with you all of the challenges they had and why they liked it and why they think it's worth your time. And knowing that if I'm trying this new piece of technology, if I have a question, I can go to this person down the hall and they would be more than willing to share and, and to help me out. That was really big because there, there is so much technology. Like for, for example, the, the class kit was something that I had seen a couple of times and I was like, yeah, well, I'm already doing this other thing. Like, I don't think I need that right now. Like I don't have time to learn this new thing. And one of my good friends, was really into it. And she kept like showing me all this cool stuff. And then once I started, I was like, Oh my gosh, yes. Like, of course, why haven't I been doing this all along? So that's another thing that I hope in the future we continue to have in our district is just utilizing the staff that we have and letting teachers help each other and teach each other was really, really powerful. Well, I believe you as a teacher leader and other colleagues like you can move that force in the right direction. I really enjoyed talking to you today as I know Joy has. What I find just amazing is hearing all of this technology and the implementation from a content area teacher, someone who is using technology and not just technology for its own sake, but to really impact learning. Thank you very much for being here. Are there any last words of advice that you can share with us and with our listeners? I would say in terms of the technology to just pick one thing to start with that you want to try, that you want to learn more about, that you want to get good at. Um, Don't try to become an expert in everything at once. It's taken me a long time to get to where I am today. And it's like each year, you get a little bit better and you reflect on what works and what didn't work and what you want to try in the future. And it is a process. One other thing I forgot to mention before is that with this whole pandemic, it really forced us as teachers to pare it down and to figure out what is the most important concepts, the most important skills that we want our students to learn. Because 
with the remote learning and everything, we couldn't get to everything that we would do in a normal school year. It just takes so much longer. And so that was another valuable thing that I feel like I got out of this year was really focusing in on what are the most important things. And if something's got to go, what, what can we get rid of and what has to stay? And I was going to ask you that, is there a thing of too much technology? And you just answered that beautifully. And I think that takes the burden off so many teachers that you don't have to try to be good at everything. You don't have to use so much or not. You don't have to try to entertain the students. Yeah. You have to find something that works and just really use what works with fidelity. Yes. Become an expert in one thing. And once you get good at that, if you want to incorporate something else in later on the next year, do it. If not, that's okay too. Great advice, Mallory. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today, Mallory. We have enjoyed talking to you and learning about so many different tools, which will be linked in our show notes so that people can investigate for themselves. We look forward to talking to you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.